0: Psalm 24 says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? the Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. That King we come to worship. Worshiping Him him for His mighty works. All that He has accomplished for us in redemption. Let's pray together. Holy Father, we come before You We come this morning to thank you and praise you for your mighty works of redemption and the sustenance that you have enacted on our behalf. We come before you to bring our prayers and our petitions before you as you have generously commanded us to do. When we come praying for congregations that belong to your son, his bride. We pray for Crosspoint. We pray for churches that gather all around the world. Father, we pray, we pray that you would be so firmly united to your people through the ordinances and the word that Christ is evident in our every word and every deed. Father, we pray that you would encourage us, equip us, forgive us, and sanctify us. Strengthen us, our families and our fellowship. Give us perseverance to withstand your trials. Grant to us grace to endure your discipline and the patience and faithfulness to await your timing when you will make all things new and free us from these bodies of sin that ever weigh us down and cause us all such offense. Father, we delight in the prospect of a redeemed heaven and earth and bodies that will age and weaken and die no longer. And best of all, that we'll sin no more. A heaven and earth where we shall see Christ as he is and fear no wrath or rejection. But where we shall remain in his love and delight for all eternity. Lord, we lift up those needs in our body to you. Lord, we pray that you would grant comfort to those who are in distress. We pray that you would uphold those who are in suffering or mourning. We pray that you would strengthen those who suffer persecution for the faith. Lord, we pray that you would make us a people that you use, and through whom you do all of these things. We thank you and we praise you for your love and mercy. And we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our scripture this morning is Ruth chapter 4, 1 through 12. As you turn there, just know, in chapter 3... Boaz told Ruth that he was going to act, promised. Naomi told Ruth to wait and watch Boaz to see how he would act. And in chapter four, and this is where we all get giddy, right? We get to see the closing act of this great story. We see Boaz make good on the promises. Let's stand together and let's read God's word. Again, Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down, and he took ten men of uh, of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Milan. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Milan, I have bought to be my wife. And be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give to you by this young woman. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Again, Father, we thank you for this word. We ask that this word that was written so long ago In an entirely different context, in an entirely different culture, to an entirely different people, we pray that you would speak to us by this word as you have promised to do. Lord, as your people, we are here to listen to you as you've commanded. Trusting you that your word will not return void but that you will accomplish all that you intend to do by it. We are trusting you, Father, because you said you would do it. Strengthen us. Comfort us. Equip us. Make us more like your Son. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And we know that for those who love God, God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. How many times have you read that or have you heard that? How many times have you struggled with that? All things work together for good. There's this great throwaway line that um, this character <laughs> in this show that I like. He says, Yeah, but does it really? Does it? How do you know it's true? Well, as we come to the last chapter in Ruth. We're going to see all things work together. This chapter as a whole helps us to look at the story. We sort of step back and get an overarching view of the story, and we see it as a story of reversals, a story of great reversals or another way of saying it, in chapter 4, we see resolutions that reveal a story of redemption. And what you're going to see in this revealed here is the faithfulness of God. That faithfulness of God that you hope in and that lets you know There's that little phrase, all things work together. It's true. He does it. You're going to see his faithfulness both in the process of this reversal and then the product of the reversal. You see it in his, you see his character of faithfulness come through, especially as we've been seeing in the person of Boaz through this process. So, the process of reversal, this is like the first ten verses of this chapter. I'll read again. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, "'Turn aside, friends, sit down here,' and he turned aside, and he sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, "'Sit down here,' and they sat down. I will redeem it. Oh, well, that's not what we wanted, right? I mean, last week we were all wanting Boaz and Ruth to get together, and we see this sort of climactic. We saw last week Boaz told him, "Hey, I'm not the only redeemer. There's another one." And Boaz told Ruth what he was going to do. I'm going to go sort of try to work this out. We'll see if he'll redeem you. He'll redeem you. If not, but it's going to get dealt with somehow. If you were just reading along here, we've already read the whole chapter, so we've already given it away, but if you were just reading along here, you might go, oh, it's sort of, uh, I, and I hate to say this, but I'll just, start. it's sort of like The Bachelor, right? You know, and you're just like, oh, that's not the one that we wanted to get. Oh. <laughs> right? may it never be said that I am not culturally relevant. (laughs) Some of you are like, well, you're not. Because it's not really what we're watching anymore. But here is the deal with this. So Naomi is selling the rights to the produce of the land. The idea is that the one who owns the rights, right, they can produce the crops and they can benefit from that over time but the land here's what would normally happen the land would revert back to the original owners at jubilee remember we mentioned all of these ways these sort of built-in structures in the law that preserved the integrity of the livelihood the life of these people in the land right remember that we had like the you know the the tribe and then the clan and the family and everybody had their little piece and, you know, it all. So initially, right, it might be purchasing the right to the produce of this land. Great. And then it would go back to the original owner. But here's the problem. Naomi doesn't have any heirs and Ruth has no sons. And so in this situation... The property wouldn't go back to original. Family. It would roll into this new guy's inheritance for his heirs. You get it? So for this guy, he's like, well, okay, this is a good deal, right? No heirs. I get the land, it'll stay in my family. Sure. Okay. Some have suggested that's what this part of the story is telling. Is a shrewd business guy. He knows kind of his stuff. He knows what he's doing. Right? And so he takes it. But then, Boaz is a wise guy too. He's shrewd. You know, you notice how he does this. He's probably not you know, lost on Boaz. He like, sort of gives the foot in the door. Oh yeah, this guy... This guy bites. He wants it. And now he sort of gives the shoot for the moon kind of thing here. He gives the other side of it. Then Boaz, this is verse 5, he said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. How does this change things? Okay, well, now you've got Ruth, who can have kids. That means children, which means heirs. What he would be doing... Wouldn't just roll over to him. What he would be doing is perpetuating the name of Elimelech and his sons, which, as you can imagine, is more costly. Now he's funding two households. Right? It's not just going to be his. Now again, it could be that this guy makes him, it make, This new information makes him back up. He sort of looks at it, the cost, and he sees how it might impair him. But some writers would say that, no, you see a nice contrast here. What you're seeing in him is a selfishness. It's a selfishness that doesn't really exhibit the character of this kinsman redeemer. The way that Dean Ulrich puts it, he says, the character of the Redeemer is one who went beyond the law and voluntarily gave himself for the benefit of others and ultimately for the advancement of God's covenantal purposes. Well, that is not the kind of character that this kinsman-redeemer shows. It is the kind of character that we've already seen in Boaz and we see now. Verse 7 says, Now this was the custom in the former times in Israel concerning the redeeming and exchanging to confirm the transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself. Boaz, of course, drew off his sandal. Or me, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witness this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and that belonged to Kilion and Malon, also, excuse me, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon. I have bought to be my wife. And then here again is the re- repetition and the important punchline to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Mr. So-and-so is out, whoever that kinsman redeemer is. And the process of agreement, you know, might... Nobody really knows exactly where the sort of taking off the sandal comes from. It might be, you know, Joshua, every place that your soul treads right, will be yours. This sort of idea of this is yours now. But the point is, Boaz calls everyone to witness. The whole legal proceeding accomplished two things. Boaz has obtained the land will not go to another clan or family. And the family will not be snuffed out. It will live on. Dean Ulrich, he also says of the Kinsman Redeemer and what we see here, that he was willing to absorb personal loss in order to do what was right and good. He modeled faithfulness to the law, compassion for others, and generosity to the needy. That's what Boaz does. He is this great picture of a redeemer. Through Boaz, and again, here is the point life returns to this family. They have life back. Death is overcome. Life wins. That's the process of this reversal. Now we get to the good stuff. Here is the product of that reversal, here's the outcome. First, we're going to see it in Boaz and Ruth, and then we're going to see the reversal for Naomi next week. Okay? But just uh, uh, for Boaz and Ruth and sort of... So just stay with me for this, because there's some, there's some interweaving. What you're going to see is how, when we talk about this whole story of redemption, one story of redemption in Scripture, right? Right? What you're going to see here is how that actually bangs out in the fine texture of Scripture. You're going to see the way that stories get interwoven here in ways that you're not expecting. And they reveal redemption in ways that you're not expecting. So first of all, uh, verse 11, Verses 11 and 12, it says, Then all the people were at the gate um, and the elders, excuse me, and the elders, ah, sorry. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give to you by this young woman. So let's walk through each part of the blessing so we can see the significance. First about Ruth. The blessing is that she will be like Rachel and Leah. Now this 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 is really cool to see what happens here. Y'all know who Rachel and Leah are. If you know sort of this Old Testament story from Genesis, then you'll be familiar with Rachel and Leah. Remember, Isaac sends Jacob to his relatives to get a wife for him. Remember this, the story uh, Jacob he sort of got in some trouble with Esau. And Esau wanted to kill him because he stole his birthright. And Isaac goes, well, we've got to get you out of here. So he sends him away to Laban. Right? And incidentally, this is outside the land that's going to be theirs. So he sends him there. Jace, Jacob meets Rachel. And remember, this is another one of those love stories, those beautiful ones. He meets Rachel and immediately, Boom! He loves her. And you remember the story LeBon goes, okay, that's cool. How are we going to work this out? What's the bride price? And I'll work seven years for you. Done. So he works seven years, but then he gets deceived by LeBon, and LeBon gives him the older daughter, because after all, that's the custom. We don't give the younger one for the older one, right? So we get a Laban and you know. Isaac's like, excuse me, Jacob's like, what did you do? Well, just calm down. Work another seven years and you can get Rachel. And he did it. And remember, it was like nothing to him. Waiting for Rachel. Well, the point here is that Rachel and Leah are the ones through whom God built his people. You know, those 12 tribes of Israel, those, that, that came from 12 sons. And those 12 sons, they came from Rachel and Leah. Like Sarah and Rebekah before them, they were these matriarchs through whom God was fulfilling his purposes, the promises that he'd made to Abraham coming through them. Well, I mean, you see what this means. Okay, we need to, you need to step back and see how amazing this is. You've got Ruth, the Gentile. Not just a Gentile, but a Moabite. Do you remember how the Moabites came in do you remember where Moabites came from? Genesis 19. Lot We're going to come back to this in a second, but Lot and his daughters Remember that whole thing? Lot gets out of Sodom cuz Abraham because of Abraham's intercession and the angels are going, hey, go out there to the hills, out there where Abraham is. And Lot goes, no, 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 no. Let me go right over there. And eventually he has two sons. We'll kind of come back to that in a second. One of whom name is Moab. That is where she comes from. That's her lineage. What we see here is that Ruth, that same Moabite whom Boaz covered with the wing of his garment, whom God covered with his wing, making her his own, who in that symbolic act God binds himself to and her to him as he did the people at Sinai. That same Moabite woman, she is now not just worked into the family. It's not just that she's worked in. What the blessing is, is that she now will become a key figure like those matriarchs of Israel. She's not just becoming one of the people. She is becoming one of the people. One of the people through whom God will bring about his purposes through his people. Second, we get Boaz. Look at the blessing for him. Who are Perez, Tamar, Judah? What's that about? Okay, well, listen to this. And you can't make this stuff up, man. This is fascinating. Again, we'll come back to Genesis 19. But Genesis 38, and it's really long, so I'm just going to summarize it. Judah, that's one of Leah's sons, goes away from his people, from his brothers. And guess where he goes? He goes down to a Canaanite city. He marries a Canaanite woman. He has three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. Judah gives Ur to a Canaanite wife named Tamar. Now, I mean, all these guys keep dying. But Ur, he's wicked and he dies. Judah tells Onan, take Tamar as his wife. Um, but he won't have any children with her. He's wicked. He dies. Judah tells Tamar to wait for his other son to grow up. And then she'll be able to marry him. Well, Judah has no plans of doing that because he's afraid, guess what, that that kid's going to die too. As though it's, it's, it's like, it's, you know, Tamar is the, is, the, is the unlucky, you know, sort of one. She's the problem. So he doesn't want to give that son to her. So Tamar just waits in her father's house. Her father's house. Then Tamar hears that Judah is out shearing a sheep. At a sheep shearing festival. She dresses up like a prostitute. And Judah winds up visiting her. Well, in the course of this sort of transaction, she gets his signet ring, his cord, and his staff as a promise of payment. Well, after all of this sort of deception, you know, Judah, I mean, Tamar goes back to her house, and then Judah finds out that she's pregnant. So he decides that. Well, she needs to be dealt with. He accuses her of immorality. He brings her out to be burned. But when he brings her out to be burned, guess what she brings with her? Or actually, she sends it to his signet, his cord, and his staff. Well, Judah declares, rightly so, she is more righteous than I. Because he knew what he did. In refusing to give her a son, he didn't carry out the Leverite law for her. Instead, you have this sort of twisted event where the father, this father, ends up with his daughter in law and she has twins. One of those twins is Perez. It seems like the descendant. Perez is the most significant in Israel's history. And we're going to see why as we get later on. So the blessing goes something like this. May God bless you with an abundance of descendants who blessed the forefather of Perez. And may your descendants be as significant as his. May you carry on Israel's great history. So we see that in both of these. Both Ruth, the blessing for her, and the blessing for Boaz. This blessing of a future, of a history, of God continuing to do his great work in building this people. But this blessing also looks backward, and this is the twist here. That makes some sense that this blessing is forward-looking. It deals with what's going to happen later. But embedded in the blessing is this backward look, too. Did you notice the similarity in the stories between Tamar and Ruth? Did you pick up on that? That's one of the reasons why I went through all that. I mean, we could have just goes, well, you know... Perez is, you know, he's way up the line from Boaz. And he's a significant figure, and they just want him to be like Boaz. I went through all that because I wanted you to hopefully pick up on some of the similarities between, in their stories. In fact, you're going to see, you see this in both the story of Perez and Tamar and Judah and Lot and his daughters. In the Judah and Tamar story, Judah asks Tamar to wait. Remember? He says, wait for my son. Naomi says, Don't wait. I'm not gonna have any. Judah goes down to a Canaanite city where a wife died, and his two older sons die. Sound familiar? Judah doesn't return, but stays in that place of death. The daughter-in-law deceives the father-in-law at a festival. Okay, Do you remember that from last week? You know, this is the barley wheat harvest, the feast of weeks, Pentecost. Daughter-in-law lays down with the father-in-law to have children, and then we get Perez and Zerah. Well, in Ruth, Elimelech goes down to Moab, a foreign land, and there's death there. Naomi returns, unlike Judah. Naomi sends Ruth off, I mean, excuse me, Naomi sends Ruth to offer marriage, not to seduce. It happens at a festival, and the outcome is there's a union, and there is a child. Lot and his daughters. It's a similar story. Lot moves off to Sodom. Remember, away from Abraham. Elimelech moves away. Lot goes to the mountain with Abraham. Naomi goes to Bethlehem. Lot goes to a cave, death. There you have, you know, drunkenness. Daughters get him drunk. An anti-festival so to speak, and out of that come children, Moab and Ben-Ami. What you see from those similarities is that this story is not just telling us about what God does in the future. It's telling us more. Boaz comes from the line of Perez, born out of perversion and death. Ruth comes from the line of Moabites, born out of perversion and death. And yet out of those two dark stories, two dark stories, out of deadness, God brings life. Out of that mess out of that muck you know out of out of things that we don't talk about at least not in detail god weaves together this beautiful story of redemption we see this past transformed and healed In fact, that's what these reversals, the reversal is both a transformation of the past and a redemption of the future. What we can see in connection to us today, in Ruth in particular, is a foreshadowing of what Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 and 9. Paul said, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith." You already see that in Ruth. Ruth, a Gentile, becomes an heir. That gospel was proclaimed beforehand to Abraham and continued to be proclaimed after Abraham. It continued to be enacted after Abraham. These little breadcrumbs all along the way showing us God is faithful to his purpose and plan. He's really serious about doing this. Accomplishing this. Ruth, a Gentile, becomes an heir, but not only an heir. She becomes one through whom that great hope of redemption comes. And we sort of come back to the, the beginning, where we started. In both Ruth and Boaz, we see illustrated that great truth that Paul expresses in Romans 8:28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. How do you know it's true? People of God, you just heard the reason that you know that it's true. God has just put on display for you with great clarity that it is true. And what he's accomplished in these two people, these two characters. What he's done with their past and what he did with their future. You've heard of God's faithfulness here. As he's worked things out, and we'll see this more clearly next week. But if you want to see where it is, you jump to the very end of this passage. You see this great little, you know, genealogy that ends with David King David the one who gives rise to another king Christ you've seen God work this out as he weaves history together to culminate in the coming of his son in the flesh It's true that he works all things together for good. People of God, if we see it leading up to Christ, if we see it in promises and pictures leading up to Christ and can know that it is true, how much more now? that the victory is won, that Christ has come in the flesh in suffering and death, defeated death, in resurrection to life. Does God work all things together for good for those who are called according to His purpose? Yes. Yes. How do we know? Because we've seen him do it. He's been faithful to do it, and he will be faithful to do it again. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us in all the ways that you show us your faithfulness to your purpose and your plan. Father, we thank you that you have been faithful to bring about this great work of redemption through your Son. And we praise you that you produce that, that you bring that about with people stuck in and struggling with the very sin that your Son redeems us from. This is amazing, Father, that you you work together a history of sin to bring about the conquering of it. Father, we praise you that you work with a history that is permeated by death. And you work things and bring things together out of that and create life. Bring it anew. Father, we pray that this word of your faithfulness This story would resonate with us, would stir us, would strengthen our faith and our confidence in You. We're still here, Father. We're still walking in this world that is suffering, marred by sin. Or through this story of your work, having seen your great work of redemption here, Lord, grant to us hope that you indeed are faithful. That you indeed are the God that works all things together for good. For those who love you, in Christ's name, amen.